Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Wait a minute. Have you heard the strange tales of the whistler? I'm the whistler. Nita, what is it? What's wrong with you? I don't know. All of a sudden, I, I got a terrible feeling. A horrible feeling of, of foreboding. I'm frightened, Tom. Another Sunday night, and again, CBS presents The Whistler. I, The Whistler, know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales, many secrets hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. And so I tell you tonight the unusual story of malice. Dr. Jacob Benton is the wealthiest citizen in a certain upstate county, as well as its most prominent physician and surgeon. Jacob Benton is a proud individual, proud of the fact that he comes from a long line of highly successful surgeons. And his greatest ambition is that his son, Tom, will follow in his footsteps and carry on the family tradition. Jacob has also a nephew, Harvey, son of Jacob's scapegoat brother who married a girl from the wrong side of the town and finally disappeared, leaving Jacob to take care of his young son. After finishing high school, Tom and Harvey entered medical school. Harvey followed through and is to graduate next week. But Jacob's son, Tom, at the end of his third year, wandered over to the East Bottoms at the lower end of town and uh, met a girl, lost interest in medicine, and refused to go back to school. Tom. Tom. Yes, Father? Come into the library. What do you want? Where have you been? It's two in the morning. Why, I've been to a party. Where? A house party. On the other side of town? Yes. In the East Bottoms. You've seen that girl, that Nita, again, haven't you? Yes. What of it? What of it? You're a disgrace to the name of Benton. I've told you time and again that you don't belong over there. I like Nita because she's honest and genuine. She's not filled with a lot of silly ideas like Eloise. Eloise is a fine girl. She belongs to an excellent family. Oh, bosh. Eloise is a phony. Nita's a real fellow. If you become serious about this girl, you'll be ostracized. I know. I know all about poor Uncle George. He went over to the East Bottoms and met a girl and went to the dogs. But it wasn't the girl. He was no good in the first place. He was a stubborn fool, just like you. I resent being told who and when and where. Are you in love with this girl? Yes. I'm terribly disappointed in you, Tom. I'd hoped, I'd prayed that you'd become a surgeon. I don't like medicine. You were wrapped up in your studies until you met this girl. That's what you think. I'm ashamed of you. Your cousin Harvey came from the lower end of town. I made him see the light... And then think of it. You about face and walk right into it. You quit school and he graduates next 
week. All right, his name's Benton, too. Let him carry on. He likes medicine. It bores me. This girl has made a fool of you. Oh, I could kill her. I think I'd better go to bed. Good night. Good night, young idiot. He's going to finish school if I have to... What's all the racket about down here? Oh, uh, come in, Harvey. I... I heard voices. Yes, it was Tom. He's been to a party across town. Been out with that cheap girl again, that Nita. Are you sure? He admitted it. Says he's in love with her. Tossing his career to the winds over a woman like that. How long has he been seeing her? Oh, several months, I suppose. That's why he wouldn't go back to school. All she's after is his money. How he ever met up with her, I'll never know. I'm afraid I'm the cause of that, Uncle Jacob. You? What do you mean? Well, when, when I was home last summer, I went over there one evening, several evenings, in fact. Tom insisted on going along. I wanted to see some of the kids. I went to school with Nita, and, well, I introduced them. Well, of all things, you were born over there, and if you insisted on going back, it was your own business. But Tom is my son. You knew how I felt about it. You had no right to take him over there. I realize that now. Well, something's got to be done about it at once. Yes, but what? I'll put an end to it. Believe me, I'll find a way and I'll stop at nothing. For the remainder of the night, Jacob sits in the library studying the problem of what to do about Tom. And upstairs, young Harvey paces to and fro, pondering over the same question. The next morning, Harvey goes to the lower end of town to visit Nita. Hello, Nita. Harvey. Well, I didn't know you were back in town. You didn't? I came home last night. I'm going back in a few days for graduation exercises. Have you missed me, Nita? Why? Why, yes. Why haven't you written me in the last month or so? Well, I'm... I've been busy... Been across town lately? No, why should I? <laughs> you know, it's a strange thing about this section called the East Bottoms. It means more than just a, a place. It's a huge barrier. An insurmountable obstacle. I was born over here, same as you. But I got an idea that I could cross over. And in time, I'd be accepted as one of them. But I finally realized that I would never be accepted. I'd only be tolerated. I'd never be able to practice medicine over there. I think that's all imagination. I told you I had definitely decided to come back here and settle down. That's why I asked you to marry me. I'm not satisfied here. Since when? I've never been satisfied here. You belong here, Nita. You'll never be able to cross over. You'd be miserable. I know. Maybe. And Tom would never last over here. He'd wash up, just as my father did. What are you talking about? I know what's happened. You're throwing me over for Tom. What? You're after Tom because you think he'll take you out of this. Set you up on the other side. Well, he won't. You'll have to come over here, and he won't have a dime. You're not really in love with Tom. I am in love with him, and he loves it me. It won't last a month. I'll make it last. Oh, don't be a fool, Nita. Tom's father thinks you're a... Uh, good for nothing. And he'll never change. I don't care. I love Tom. And when it came to a showdown, Tom would walk out on I'm you. I'm going to marry him. I've made up my mind. Then there's nothing more I can say. Goodbye, Nita. Goodbye. That evening, 
Dr. Jacob comes to a decision, and he too crosses town and makes his way to Nita's apartment. Well, what do you want to talk about, Dr. Benton? About my son, Tom. I see. How long have you known him? Oh, since last summer. Have you seen him often? Yes, several times a week for the last two months. You think you're in love with him? I don't think. I know I am. I don't think he's in love with you. He's merely infatuated. You're interested in his position, his money. You can think whatever you like. I'm familiar with your type. My... my type? What's the matter with me? Are you aware of what you're doing to my son? I've done nothing, nothing at all. You've caused him to drop his career. Tom has a tradition to fulfill. He comes from a fine family. And I won't have him throw it all to the wind because of a silly infatuation. It isn't an infatuation. He must marry someone in his own class. Someone who will inspire him to carry on his career. I didn't talk him out of his career. He says he doesn't like medicine. The right girl wouldn't allow him to stray. She would encourage him to follow through. The right girl. Family. Tradition. It's all a lot of bosh. Everybody in this town has made up his mind that the East Bottoms mean the difference between somebody and nobody. Well, I haven't. I'm made of the same stuff as you or Tom or anybody else over there. I have a right to a decent existence. If it's money you want, I'll give you money to let him alone. I'll give you a lot more than you'll ever get from Tom if you marry him. Money? You... You'd pay me to give him up? Yes. Here. Here's a check for $5,000. $5,000? Is that all your son is worth to you? $5,000? If he were my son... And I thought I could buy his future. I'd give every cent I had. What? You mean you want more than that? Dr. Benton, you don't possess enough money to buy me off. I don't want money. Well, what goes on here? Hello, Tom. You came just in time. What are you doing here, Father? What do you suppose? What's he been saying, Nita? He just gave me this check for $5,000. For what? To let you alone, so you can continue your career. What? He thinks I'm wrecking your life. He is. That settles it. We'll get married tonight. You won't get married tonight. Not in this state. We'll fly over to the island. That's in another state. They don't have the three-day law. Get your things, Nita. If you marry this girl, I'll never give you another cent. I'll get along. Come on, Nita. Tom, I'll stop at nothing to break this up. I promise you'll regret this moment so long as you live. Let's go, Nita. So Tom and Nita rush out of the house and drive to the airport just outside of town. A storm has come up. The highway glistens in the beam of the headlights. This rain is certainly like a cloudburst. Maybe we shouldn't fly over tonight, Tom. Why not? I don't like to fly in a storm. How, how can you tell where to land? Oh, don't worry about that. I'm familiar with the field. Who's on the island at this time of year? Well, not many people. We've had this summer place there as long as I can remember. There's an old fellow and his wife who look after most of the places. He's also a justice of the peace. He can marry us, we'll spend the night at our place, and then we'll go someplace else tomorrow. Tom, are you sure you want to go through with this? Certainly. Why do you ask? Your father meant what he said. Is it... is it worth it to give up everything? You're worth a dozen family fortunes. But, but now that I think about it, it... it... Well, he sort of frightened me. He didn't frighten me. Well, the way he said it made... made chills run up my spine. Said what? He'll regret this moment so long as you live. Oh, he was just bluffing. But somehow, I... I don't think he was. He can cut me off, but we'll get along. Tom, 
Why don't you finish your studies? I told you, darling. I don't like medicine and I never will. Why should I do something I dislike just because my father and my great-great-grandfathers liked it? Well, what do you want to do? Oh, I don't know. But I'll find something. Tom? Yes? What is it? <laughs> Nita? What is it? What's wrong with you? Oh, I, I don't know. All of a sudden, I've got a terrible feeling. A feeling of... of foreboding. Snap out of it, Nita. This isn't like you. I know, but I can't help it. I'm frightened. Of what? I don't know, but I am. Oh, tell me, let's turn back. Let's wait, please. Oh, no, you can't back out now. We're going through with this. But he meant it. Your father meant what he said. I know he did. Please turn back. I wouldn't turn back for all the money in the world. Don't worry, I don't need lights to land. You should have come in a boat. No, it's too choppy for a boat. This is the only way in weather like this. Tom, there, I see a light. Just went on. Yeah? Old Jenkins probably heard it. The, the light is swinging. Yeah, that's it. That's the field. It's a tiny one, but I can make it. There's a light. Yeah. We're all right now. Hang on. I'm going to set her down. Fire. Oh, who are they? No, no. Hold the lantern down here. It's a woman. Yeah, don't recognize her. Hey, hey, this is young Tom Benton. Oh, the girl is hurt bad. Look at her legs. They must be broken. Yeah. Come along. We'll get them over to the house. Phone Doc Benton. Hello? Hello? Is this Dr. Benton's home? Uh, this is Jenkins over on the island. Is Dr. Benton there? Oh, is that you, Harvey? Well, you better find Doc and get him over here right away. It's young Tom. He tried to land his plane and hit some trees. Uh, I don't think Tom is hurt so bad, but the girl has smashed up something terrible. I don't know who she is. Yeah. Goodbye. <laughs> It didn't take you long to get here, Harvey. We've got him over at our place. Huh. How in the world did Tom hit those trees? I had no trouble seeing the field. The lights weren't on when Tom came in. Didn't even hear his motor until it was too late. He should have phoned me. He was coming. Hey, where's Doc Benton? He was out on the case. He left his patient's house, so I, I left a message telling him I was going ahead and to come as quickly as possible. I brought some medical supplies. Here we are. Tom's over there on the couch. They put the girl in the bedroom. Mm -hmm. A few, few cuts on him. Don't think he has any broken bones. Oh, nasty bump on the head. 
Maybe a slight concussion. Well, I better have a look at the girl. Looks to me like both her legs are broken. Nita. Poor kid. You know who she is? Yes. Yes, I know who she is. Uh, Was I right about her legs? Yes. Both rather badly smashed up. Where were they going on a night like this? I imagine they came over here to get you to marry them. Marry them? Well, I'll be darned. I wonder why they didn't phone me first. They were in too much of a hurry, I suppose. Too bad. She's in a very critical condition. Extreme shock. Better get some hot water and plenty of blankets. Yeah, right away. Get the house as warm as possible and put more blankets on Tom. I'll be right back. Martha? Uh, Yes? How is she? Harvey says she's in bad shape. Gather up all the bedclothes and coats you can. Got to cover them up good. Put on plenty of water to heat. I'll build up the fire. Outside, the storm rages on. Harvey sits quietly beside Nita's bed, staring at her in a daze. Her breathing becomes shallow, irregular. A quarter of an hour passes. Then a plane motor is heard overhead. The ship sets down, and Dr. Jacob hurries to the house. Tom's over there, Doc. Tom. Tom. He's been unconscious ever since we brought him in. Can't find any fractures. He's got an awful wallop on his head. Yes. I see. Hmm. No apparent concussion. He'll be all right in a short while. Um, get some pillows. Raise his feet. I want his head lower. I'll get them. You certainly got it hot in here. Yeah. Uh, Harvey had us do that because of the girl. She's pretty bad. Girl? Where is the girl? Oh, in the bedroom there. Harvey's in there. Yeah. I'll have a look at her. Harvey. Harvey. Huh? Oh. Hello, What's the matter with you? I just... Are you crying? No, no, I... I I'm just... This is a miserable mess. Fine example of a doctor you are. You have to learn to be completely impersonal about these things. Oh, I know. What do you say is wrong with her? Both legs are broken. She's suffering from extreme shock. Uh-huh. Better take your bag. Go out there and give Tom a shot of adrenaline. I'll attend to the girl. Yes, sir. Harvey gives Tom the adrenaline and proceeds to attend to the cuts and bruises. Then he moves to the fireplace and sits staring into the blaze. The storm rages on. The minutes drag slowly along. Ten, twenty, thirty. Then Dr. Jacob steps out of the bedroom. Harvey. Yes, sir? Has Tom come out of it yet? Not yet. But he shows improvement. He'll be all right in a little while. I see. Jenkins. Yes, Doc? Get us something to make a pallet. We'll carry him down to the plane and take him over to the hospital. Sure, right away. I'll get four poles and some rope. I'll have two made in a jiffy. Never mind two. Just one. The girl is dead.
on the following day, Tom has fully recovered. Gradually, the events of the preceding hours begin to pass before him. The argument, the island, the plane, Nita. Nita screaming, and then the crash, and then... Nita, Nita, where is Nita? Tom sends for his father. But Jacob is already standing in the shadows of the room. How do you feel, Tom? Nita... Is Nita all right? Oh, now, take it easy, Tom. Don't get excited. Where is Nita? Forget about Nita for the moment. You've been pretty badly banged up. A little more and you'd have had a real concussion. What about Nita? If you insisted on flying to the island, why didn't you phone Jenkins to turn on the lights? He heard my motor. We were in a hurry. Besides, I saw the lights. Jenkins said he didn't turn them on at all. Didn't hear you till just before you crashed. That's ridiculous. Where have you got Nita? Nita is at the undertaker's. She... What? She's dead. Good Lord. Was she... Did it happen in the crash? No, she died about half an hour after I got there. Were you on the island? Yes, Jenkins found you and called the house. I was out on a case and got to the island too late to save her. What was the cause? Her legs were broken. She died from extreme shock. Was there nothing you could do? Nothing. Did you try... I resent that inference. You should know better than that. I'd rather have had anybody in the world there than you. Do you know what you're talking about? Yes, I do. You hated her. You didn't give her half a chance. Will you shut up and stop yelling? What did you give her? I gave her adrenaline. It was probably water. I've heard enough out of you. When you come to your senses, I'll consider talking to you. Good day. Now Tom, his mind filled with suspicion, his heart burning with hatred, throws on his clothes, dashes out of the hospital and goes to the island. He reviews the whole situation with Jenkins. Each incident from the time he first heard the plane motor to the moment they took him to the hospital. Tom returns to town, arranges for an autopsy, and is now talking to the autopsy surgeon. Well, Dr. Groberg, how about it? What's your report? Well, both legs were fractured, but there was no compound fracture. There were several minor lacerations about the body and a head contusion. Nothing there that would have caused death? No, no, nothing. What else did you find? Any evidence of, of poison? No, none. She was suffering from shock? Oh, naturally, but uh, not extreme shock. Then, then she didn't die from shock. Death from shock would have been prevented by the adrenaline administered. Then you found adrenaline present? Yes, that is what I can't understand. What do you mean? Well, one of the most difficult things to diagnose is the difference between extreme shock and internal hemorrhage. There was internal hemorrhage? Certainly. And this one was one of the easiest to diagnose I've ever seen. As you well know, adrenaline in internal hemorrhage is absolutely contraindicated. In other words, you think her death was caused by the administration of adrenaline? I do, definitely. But those things happen sometimes, regardless of how hard we try. Yes, well, thanks, Doctor. I'll see you later. Hello, Father. Well, have you finally come to your senses? Yes. Yes, I have. I'd like to have a little talk with you. Very well. What about? I've been doing a little investigating. Investigating? Now, what are you talking about? I'm talking about Nita. Are you going to start on that again? I am. 
And I'm going to follow it to a conclusion. I don't want to have anything more to do with it. But I do. I've had a hard day, and I don't care to listen to any more of your idiotic babblings. How would you like to have the grand old name of Benton? The untarnished reputation of your long line of surgeons blasted to a thousand pieces. What are you talking about? How would you like to have it known that you, the eminent Dr. Benton, the trusted, the revered Dr. Jacob Benton, deliberately and with malice of forethought, caused the death of a girl... How would you like that? You're insane, positively mad. Oh, no, I'm not. I've gone back over the whole thing. I know you hated Nita. You said I'd regret the day so long as I lived. You threatened to do something, and you did. At your first opportunity. You are crazy. You did everything to separate us. You tried to buy her off. When that didn't work, you killed her. Get out of here. Leave this house. You didn't just let her die. You killed her, murdered her. Get out. I know what I'm talking about. I had an autopsy performed. You what? An autopsy. Go on. She didn't die of shock. What then? She died of a very obvious internal hemorrhage, aggravated by adrenaline, which is contraindicated. You're a specialist in that line. You couldn't have made that mistake in a thousand years. But I was positive it was shock. You knew what it was. No, I, I, I must have been wrought up. I, I could have made that one wrong diagnosis that happens once in a thousand times. Oh, no, I saw the body. I could tell, with as little medical experience as I've had. Tom, you... You mustn't say anything further about this. Why not? It would ruin my reputation. Oh, it... now you're worried about your reputation. What's that compared to the girl I love? Oh, but Tom, listen to me, please. Good night. Wait a minute. Wait, Tom. Well, what do you want, Harvey? I heard you. I heard every word. So what? I can't let it go on like this. I can't let you do this to your father. What's it to you? You keep out of no, it. No, Tom, now listen. You're wrong. I know what I'm talking about. Nita was murdered, and I can prove it. Your father had nothing to do with it. Harvey, that's enough. Leave us alone. I won't. I can't stand by quietly and see this happen to you. I won't. Leave this room, Harvey. Don't say another word. Now, wait a minute. What are you trying to say, Harvey? I did it. Your father's trying to cover up for me. What do you mean? He wants to save my future reputation. If it got out, it, it would be a blot against me. What would be? When Jenkins called, your father was out. He told me what had happened. I left a note to your father, took an emergency bag, and flew to the island and... In hopes I could do something. Go on. I I thought Nita was suffering from shock. I, I was terribly upset because... Because I was in love with her. So I gave her adrenaline. I wasn't experienced enough to recognize symptoms of hemorrhage. Is that the truth? Yes, now that he's told it, there's nothing I can do. I knew in an instant it was hemorrhage. When I saw the adrenaline vial, I knew what a terrible mistake he'd made. He was emotionally upset over the girl, and I wanted to give him a chance. It was done. I tried my best to pull her through, but it was too late. I, I'm sorry, Tom. Terribly sorry. Harvey guiltily leaves the library and goes up the stairs to his room. Tom stands staring at Jacob, then drops into a chair and begins to sob softly. A few minutes pass, then <laughs> a shot. Tom and his father leap to their feet, rush up the stairs and into Harvey's room. Harvey is sprawled dead over the desk, a gun in his hand. And on the desk, a note addressed to Tom. Read it, Tom. Dear Tom, I can't stand it any longer. It's been driving me crazy from the moment I did it. Nita's face is before me every second of the day and night. I was in, in love with her. But when she ran away with you, I lost my reason. I imagine she'd be better off dead. I was filled with hatred. I knew she was suffering from hemorrhage. But I gave her the adrenaline in a bit of revenge. Now it's 
driving me mad. Forgive me. Harvey. Well, that's the end. Another case of jealousy. Another example of the futility of allowing oneself to become a victim of the green-eyed monster, jealousy. CBS has presented The Whistler. Original music for this production was composed and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. The Whistler is written and directed by J. Donald Wilson and originates from Columbia Square in Hollywood. Next Sunday, 9.15... I, The Whistler, will return to tell you another unusual tale. <laughs> Good night. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Wait a minute. Have you heard the strange tales of the Whistler? I'm the Whistler. having a nightmare, John. Huh? Oh, good heavens, Clara. It was awful. I... I dreamed there was a man in this room and he stood right over me. And he said I was going to die. I was going to be murdered within 48 hours. Sunday night, and again, CBS presents The Whistler. the whistler know many things for I walk by night I know many strange tales many secrets hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows I know the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak 
And so I tell you tonight the strange story, Death Comes at Midnight. John Prentice is a manufacturer, a very busy man who needs his rest. But John had a frightful dream. The dream was not brought on by a guilty conscience, for John's life has been above reproach. He loves his wife, Clara, and their grown daughter, Eva. He has done no wrong to any man. Why, then, this awful dream with its prophecy of death? Now, the following evening, the Prentices are planning to attend a lecture, and Dwight Cooper, Eva's fiancé, is going with them. The wife and daughter are in the living room awaiting his arrival. Oh, there's Dwight now, Mother. I'll go to the door. Oh, wait a minute, Eva. You'd better make sure who it is before you open the door. Oh, Mother, are you still worrying about that dream Daddy had last night? Well, I can't help being nervous about it. Well, of course it's Dwight. We're expecting him, aren't we? I'm going to let him in. Well, enter, my lord. Hello, darling. How come you're answering the door yourself? Maid's night out? <laughs> we haven't got a maid. She went to work in a war plant. Well, good for her. We're going to do without a maid for the duration. That's the spirit. Good evening, Miss Prentice. Uh, good evening, Dwight. Now, you see, Mother, it wasn't a big bad wolf after all. Not this time. But we'd better be careful, Eva. Well, what's this about a big bad wolf? Mm, seems that Mother believes in dreams, Dwight. And last night, Dad had one that was really a honey. Oh, I don't believe in dreams. Oh, Daddy! Yes? Dwight's here, so hurry up. Come in there in just a minute. <laughs> Talk about a woman taking her time dressing. Well, what about this dream? You tell him, Mother. Well, I don't believe that all dreams have a meaning. Uh, but uh, this one John had was a prophecy, and I'm concerned about it. Yes? He kept hearing a man's voice telling him over and over that he was going to be murdered within 48 hours. Murdered? Can you imagine such a thing? Oh, well, I wouldn't be alarmed, Mrs. Prentice. According to psychologists, a dream has no possible relation to the future. They say a dream comes from experiences of the past that have been registered in the subconscious mind. Well, if John's been murdered in the past, I haven't heard about it. Oh, now, wait. I didn't mean it quite as literally as all that. The mother's been counting the hours, Dwight. Let's see, the dream came at midnight last night. That means Dad's hour of doom is midnight tomorrow, if he isn't murdered sooner. Maybe we'd better not risk taking him to the lecture. Oh, I wish you two wouldn't joke about it. I, I don't think it's any joking matter. Oh, I'll get it. Hello? Hello? Mr. Prentice there? Well, he's busy right now. Could I take a message? Yeah. Tell him he better come to the phone, whether he's busy or not, if he wants to save his life. What? This is a matter of life and death. Oh. Well, hold the line a minute. Of all the amazing things, there's a man on the phone who sounds like a gangster. He wants to talk to Daddy about saving Daddy's life. His life? Maybe I'd better talk to him. Oh, no, no. Uh, no, get John on the phone. Call him, Eva. Oh, uh, Daddy, you want it on the phone. It's important. All right, I'm coming. Oh, don't tell me that dream didn't mean anything. Oh, now, Mother, don't get excited. Well, just what did this fellow say? Well, he... Oh, here's Daddy. Well, hello, Dwight. Good evening, Miss Prentice. Uh, Daddy, wait. I don't know who that man is, but he's terribly hard-boiled, and he said I'd better get you to the phone if you want to save your life. What's this? Oh, John, I... I'll, I'll, I'll see what it's all about. Hello? Mr. Prentice? Yes? You don't know me, but you better pay attention to what I'm telling you, see? A certain man here in town, a wealthy guy, has offered me a nice piece of dough to put you out of the way. What? But I want to be reasonable, see? So I'll consider... Hey, are you listening? Yes, yes, I, I, I'm listening. Go ahead. 
Well, if you want to hike down here a little bit, say to three grand, I'll call off my deal with this guy. What's more, I'll give you his name. I see. Now, three grand's a small matter to you, so... Wait a minute. Suppose you come here to the house and we'll talk it over. Do I sound like a chump? You're coming to see me, and you're bringing the dough. Oh, no, I'm not. You think I'm going to walk into a trap? You mean you're turning down my proposition? I certainly am. All right, mister. You asked for it. You'll be a goner by midnight tomorrow. All right. So listen. Hello. 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 (laughs) Midnight tomorrow. Now, not only in a dream, but in actual fact, John has been told that he will not live beyond that hour. John phones the police, and a few minutes later, Captain Arnold arrives at the house. Mr. Prentice, can you think of anyone who'd like to have you put out of the way for any reason at all? I... No. No, Captain, I really can't. Now, you've been in business a good many years. Uh, how about your business rivals? Well, of course, I've made a certain amount of enemies, of course, yeah. but I... Don't think any of them would go so far as to hire somebody to kill me. Well, you never can tell. Suppose you name some of your enemies. Oh, no, I... I'm afraid, Captain, I couldn't do that. Well, see here, why not? Well, frankly, because I, I might be causing an innocent person a lot of embarrassment. Oh, well, what of it? We've got to get to the bottom of this some way. Uh, have you had a quarrel with anyone recently? I know, I uh, haven't. Think carefully now. Well... Yes, yes, come to think of it, I did have a rather heated argument with a man the other day in my office. Oh, but I'm sure... Well, then, who was he? I'd rather not say. Was he a wealthy man? Yes. Then tell me his name. Oh, no, Captain, I'd rather not. (laughs) If you'd go to his house and question him, I don't want... How can the police help you if you won't help yourself? This is none of my business, Mr. Prentice, but if I were you... No, no, Dwight, there's no use arguing. Got my own ideas on the subject. Well, that's that, I guess. We'll have to conduct our investigation without your help, Mr. Prentice. Oh, uh, by the way, Captain, I'd, I'd feel a lot safer if you'd send an officer out to watch the house tonight. Well, I brought a man with me. He's out in the car. I'll leave him here. Oh, that'll be fine. I'll leave the car, too, in case he needs it. Well, <clears throat> we'll do what we can, Mr. Prentice. Let us know the developments. Oh, of course, and I want to thank you, Captain. Good night. Good night. Good night, Captain. So John is unwilling to give the name of the man with whom he quarreled. (laughs) Is it really because he's concerned about the possible embarrassment of an innocent person? Tonight the house will be well guarded, and as an added protection, Dwight has agreed to stay in the Prentice home. John, feeling quite safe, has gone to bed and fallen into a sound sleep. Then, at exactly midnight... Let me go. Let me go. I don't want to die. John. No, no, don't throw me off the bridge. No. Wake up, John. No, no, no. Wake up, up, John. What? You're all right, John. You're in your room. Nothing's happening to you. Oh. You've been shouting your head off. Mother, Mother, what is it? Your father's had another nightmare. I thought that was it. Yes, Evelyn. It was terrible. What kind of a dream was it? 
Like the other one? Oh, it was worse. Now I know how I'm going to die and when. Oh, you're not going to die. I'm afraid of. What did you dream, John? He... He took me in a car to the old river bridge on Tower Street. Who took you? I don't know. I never saw him before. He tied my hands behind me with a rope, and when we got to the bridge, he dragged me out of the car and oh. threw me into the river. Oh, my heavens. Oh, mother. mother. Just, just as we came to the bridge, I saw an illuminated clock. The hands were pointing to 12. That's when I'm going to die. Oh, Daddy. What time is it now? Well, it's after 12. Oh, and it's tomorrow at midnight, just like that man said. Daddy, don't talk like that. This dream doesn't mean anything. What about my other dream? It meant something. No, it didn't. That phone call didn't have a thing to do with your dream. It was just a coincidence. Now, things will look different to you in the morning. Eva. Yes? Would you mind sending Dwight in here? But he's asleep, Daddy. I know, but please send him in. I, I want to talk to him. No. All right. <laughs> Sit down, Dwight. They told me about the dream, Mr. Prentice, but I wouldn't let it bother me if I were you. I can't help being bothered. The dream was so vivid, Dwight, and it fits in so perfectly with what's happening in real life. Yes, I'll admit that's rather strange. The reason I sent for you, well, if anything should happen to me, I want you to sort of take charge of things for Clara and Eva. How do you mean? I've made a will that takes care of my property, but there's my life insurance. It amounts to $100,000, and the money will have to be invested. I see. Who's the insurance payable to? Clara, but of course she knows nothing about investments. You advise her, will you, Dwight? I've got faith in your judgment. Yes. I'd be glad to help in any way I can. I come to think of it, I, I owe a payment on that policy right now. But the grace period isn't up for a couple of days yet. I'll make the payment if I'm still alive. Oh, I have an idea you'll be alive, all right. But as you say, if anything should happen, I'll be glad to advise Mrs. Prentice. Oh, I knew you would, Dwight. And thanks. Next morning, John announces that he will stay at home all day. Clara, upset by the events of the night before, remains in her room. But John is feeling much better. He views things differently with the coming of a new day. He will not yield to this feeling of inevitable doom. He will fight the situation. <laughs> Hello? Mr. Prentice? Oh, it's you again. Dwight, get on that extension in the library. Just, uh, thought I'd call and ask if you've changed your mind. No, I have not. Much more, I defy you to even lay a hand on me. I'm being protected by the police. Well, ain't that fine. So you won't come across, huh? No, I won't. Look, Prentice, the water in that river is awful cold. What? What did you say? Hello? Hello? Dwight, did you hear that? I heard every word. Sounded like he meant business. Something wrong? That man, he phoned me again. I don't know what to think. Well, what did he say? He he wanted to know if I changed my mind, and when I told him I hadn't, he he told me the water in the river would be awfully cold. What? How did he know about my dream? How did he know? Yeah, it's the most uncanny thing I ever heard of. What's the answer to all this? Daddy, he didn't know about your dream. It's just the other way around. Well, what do you mean? I'm afraid Mother's right. Your dreams are foretelling the future, Daddy. They're warning you of what's going to happen. And now John's spirits are crushed again. For if the dream told the truth, then his fate is sealed in spite of anything he can do. 
Dwight, however, is not ready to give up. He is annoyed with Eva for admitting her belief in the dream. Darling, for your father's sake, you shouldn't have said what you did, even though you believe it yourself. Oh, I know, Dwight. Perhaps I shouldn't. I said it before I thought. But there must be something to those dreams. Yes, I know. You got me guessing. But look, let's try to do something. Do what? I've been thinking about this quarrel your father had. He won't tell us the man's name, but maybe we can find out. How? Through your father's secretary. The quarrel took place in his office, you know. Oh, Yes. Miss Edwards might know about it. Well, shall we get down and see her? But look, let's not tell her what we want the information for. The less we say about this situation, the better. Well, we'll give her some other reason. Yes. Get your coat and hat on, honey. We'll get out of my car. Miss Edwards, this is Mr. Cooper, my fiancé. How do you do? Miss Edwards. We'd like to ask you a few questions, if you can spare us a few moments. Why, yes, of course. My father isn't feeling very well today, and that's why he didn't come down. See, we've learned that he's rather upset about a heated argument he had recently with some wealthy man here at the office. Argument? Daddy won't talk about it. He hasn't even mentioned the man's name, but it's quite necessary that we find out all we can about it. If you'll tell us who the man was, we'll treat the matter in confidence. But, uh, I don't know of any fuss your father had, Miss Prentice. He, he's quite an even-tempered man. Yes? Are you sure you don't remember? Very well. There was an argument. I... I couldn't hear what was being said. They were in your father's private office, but I did hear your father talking quite angrily with Mr. Reeves. Who's he? Milton Reeves. He's been in several big deals with Mr. Prentice. Oh. Couldn't you hear anything that was being said? No. Just their loud voices. Uh, Mr. Reeves was angry, too, but I really couldn't make out what they said. No? Well, at any rate, we've got something to go on, either. Yes. I think we'd better have a talk with Mr. Reeves. Thank you, Miss Edwards. You won't tell Mr. Prentice that I said anything, will you? And... Or Mr. Reeves, either? Oh, no. You can depend on that. I'm Dwight Cooper, Mr. Reeves. And this is Miss Prentice. How do you do, Miss Prentice? John Prentice's daughter, aren't you? Yes, I am. Well, what is it, Mr. Cooper? I'm in a bit of a hurry. I, I'm going away on a trip this afternoon. I'll be very brief. We've heard that you and Mr. Prentice had some sort of a disagreement with each other a few days ago. Yes? Who told you that? Mr. Prentice is quite ill, Mr. Reeves, and we think it's a result of that quarrel. If we could find out something about it, we might be able to straighten him out. Well, John knows all about it. He won't talk about it, Mr. Reeves. He won't, eh? Well, John shouldn't let a thing like that get him down. Business is business, you know. He wanted me to renew a loan, and I refused to do it. So that was it. In his particular business, well... I, I don't know what the future will be with all this rationing and priorities. Had you promised to renew the loan? Well, as a matter of fact, I had. But I changed my mind, which is my privilege. John wanted me to wait a few days, said he was trying to borrow some money from the state mutual. But I didn't think it was good business to wait, so I called the loan. Oh, I see. I imagine that made him pretty angry. Did it? You'll pardon me, Miss Prentice, for talking so frankly about your father, but really, I never heard a man get so abusive in my life. Why, he actually threatened me. Yes? He acted like a schoolboy. Said he'd get revenge. Do you think he will get revenge? Oh, no, no, I... Oh, yes. You're afraid of him, aren't you? You'd like to arrange things so he couldn't possibly get revenge, wouldn't you, Mr. Reeves? Did you threaten him? Say, what are you getting at? I think you know what we're getting at. I do not. Now, see here. I've told you all I'm going to tell you, so now I'll ask you both to leave. Surely. You've told us quite enough, Mr. Reeves. <laughs> Thank you. 
Dwight, hadn't we better go to the police station and tell Captain Arnold? No, darling, not yet. But I'm sure Reeves is the one who's hired that thug to kill your father. So am I. He said he was going on a trip. He wants to be out of the way when it happens, so he won't be suspected. Of course. Then why shouldn't we have him arrested? I'd like to get more evidence first. I want to find out more about that loan. Who do you think could tell me? Well, Mr. McAdams ought to be able to tell you. He's the treasurer of Daddy's firm. All right, I'll go see him. Look, honey, suppose you take a taxi and go on home. See how things are getting along. Oh, Dwight, I... Please, honey, I may have to do some running around. Look, don't tell your father about this. Oh, no. All right, Dwight. But don't be gone too long. I won't tell him. But Dwight has been gone much too long to suit Eva. It is now 11.30 at night. Eva and her mother have become increasingly nervous as the clock ticks off the seconds, bringing the time closer and closer to midnight, John's last moment on earth. Oh, for heaven's sakes, Dwight, where have you been? We've been worried to death. Well, one thing led to another. McAdams had gone out in the country, but I finally caught up with him. Have you told the police about Mr. Reeves? No, I haven't. Where's Mr. Prentice? In the library. Oh, he's in a terrible state of mind, Dwight. He's got the door locked. He told the policeman to stand outside his window. Someone at the door. Oh, my heavens. Oh, why didn't that policeman Now, don't stop. get panicky, I'll mother. see who it is. Open the wicket. It's a messenger boy. It might be a trick. It looks all right. Telegram for Mr. Prentice. All right, I'll take it. Sign here. There you are. Oh, thanks, mister. I wonder who'd be... Mrs. Prentice, have I your permission to open this message? For certain reasons, I'd like to see who it's from. Why, yes, Dwight. Go ahead. What is it, Dwight? It's important. Very important. I've got to show it to your father right away. Mr. Prentice, open up. It's Dwight. Mr. Prentice. It's all right, Daddy. Unlock the door. Dwight's got a telegram for you. Hmm. Why doesn't he answer? Well, go outside and look through the window. The officer's out there. Come on. Where is that officer, Eva? I don't see him. I don't know, Dwight. Daddy told him to stay right here by the window. Eva, look. The window's wide open. What? What's that? Oh, my heavens. There's the policeman on the ground. Something's happened to him. He's hurt. Officer. <laughs> Officer. He's coming around. What happened? Uh, I, I seen a car drive up in the alley. Oh. A light-colored sedan. And just as I, I started to investigate, somebody slugs me in the back of the head. That's, that's all I remember. And they've got him. They've got Daddy. Darling, I'm, I'm going after that sedan. How do you know where it went? I'll find it. I'll drive to the Tower Street Bridge. I'm going with you. No, you stay here, Eva. Why does Dwight think he'll find the light-colored sedan at the Tower Street Bridge? Is it because Mr. Prentice saw that bridge in his dream? Or is there another reason? A reason known only to Dwight. But Eva can't wait, and so a moment later, another car speeds toward the bridge. The policeman's car. The officer is at the wheel, and Eva and Clara are by his side. Oh, officer, can't you go faster? I'm driving as fast as I can, Miss Prentice. Say... I'd better put in a radio call to headquarters and have them send a squad car to the other side of that bridge. No telling what we'll run into there. 
at the bridge right ahead, officer. And I there's the clock. It. What clock? The one Daddy saw in his dream. And look, it's midnight. I don't know nothing about the dream, Miss Prentice. All I, I see know... a car out on the bridge. You see it? That's the baby. That's the one I saw at the house. Where's Dwight's car? Dwight's car isn't there. Oh, he must have got lost. Say, we'd better watch our step. The squad car ain't come to the other end yet. Oh, hurry, officer. Now, don't you get out of the car. You stay here. I'll see what's going on. Yes, but hurry. All right, Miss Prentice. You and your mother can come here. Is Daddy there? There ain't a soul here. The car's deserted. Don't be too late. He's already done it. Who's done what? Oh, can't you remember anything? I told you about Daddy's dream. I'm talking about that man. He's thrown Daddy in the water. Oh. Isn't there something we can do? Oh, it couldn't have happened very long ago. If your father's been thrown in the river, Miss Prentice, he's a goner, but oh, now don't. nobody could swim in that oh, current. Oh, poor Daddy. What I can't figure out is why the guy left the car here. Oh, poor John. Hey, look. There's some rope in the back of the car. And a knife. He tied Daddy's hand. Hey, here comes the squad car now. They're coming in from the other end of the bridge. Oh, officer, who's this car registered to? Uh, wait a minute. Well, by golly, there's no registration slip in it. I know who it belongs to. Milton Reed. I'll take the number and we'll check on it later. Well, what's up, Jack? Uh, it looks like there's some dirty work been going on here. Yeah? Well, maybe this guy knows something about it. Quit showing me, will you? Where'd you pick him up? He was running away from the bridge. Oh, he was, huh? All right, buddy. What do you know about this sedan? Not a thing. I wasn't on the bridge. Well, that's him. That's the man who threatened Daddy over the phone. I can tell by his voice. Well, now we're getting someplace. All right, you. Give. Where's Mr. Prentice? I don't know what you're talking about. You threw him into the river, didn't you? No. You're a liar. Come on, talk. I don't know nothing. We'll get you to talk at headquarters. A few minutes later, the river's being dragged for Prentice's body. But what has become of Dwight? He hasn't been seen since he drove away toward the bridge. The two heartbroken women return home to wait for the sad news. They step into the house, and Mrs. Prentice breaks into a sob. Oh, come, Mother. You must try to get hold of yourself. We, we must try to be brave. Oh, I know, dear. I know. What has become of Dwight? Oh, I don't know what on earth could have happened to him. Eva, darling. Dwight, what are you doing there in the library? We thought you'd run out on us. Well, I haven't been here long. Oh, Dwight, it's terrible. I never dreamed such a thing was going to happen. No, no, just be patient, darling. I'll tell you everything. I told you I finally saw McAdams. Yes? Well, the story about the loan was a lot worse than we thought. I found that Reeves had a grudge against your father. So he planned to ruin him and get everything he had. And he did just that. By refusing to renew and calling the loan. He did it deliberately. He worked in a backhanded manner and wrecked the business. He... Held the paper on everything your father owned. Father. Father's broke. Yes. Reeves broke your father. Oh, no. Absolutely penniless. Reeves has the business, this house, everything. He pulled it so fast that your father hadn't a chance to get on his feet. When I found that out, I suspected the truth, but I wasn't sure until I got to that bridge. The truth? Then you did go to the bridge. I did. And I got there just in time to prevent the tragedy. I pulled, pulled your father into my car by force, turned around on the bridge, and came back here. Oh, no. What are you saying? He, he isn't dead. No, he's here. 
in the library. Oh, oh. heaven. John, John. No, no. Just a minute, oh, please. I'll bring him in. Come in, Mr. Prentice. Oh, Father, thank heaven you're safe. John, what happened? I don't know how you feel, Mr. Prentice, but you'd better tell him. Yes, Dwight, I will. You see, my dears, I just couldn't bear the thought of my wife and daughter suffering poverty. The only thing I had left was that insurance policy, and it would have lapsed in another day. I had to think fast. John, you don't if mean... If I'd commit suicide while the policy was in effect, you'd get $100,000. But I wanted to spare you the disgrace of the suicide, so I decided to kill myself and make it appear as though I'd been murdered. Oh. Then, as I developed the plan, I got an inspiration. Why not hang the murder on Reeves, the man who had deliberately ruined me? That would be my revenge. Well... Now you know the whole story. Now you understand the nightmares. But the telephone call... Well, I hired the man to make the calls and steal Reeves's car and drive me to the bridge and then give me the motor as though it had stalled. All so that my murder could be traced directly to Reeves, who really had a motive to kill me. What motive? Well, my secretary knew all about it. When I discovered it was Reeves who was back at my failure, I threatened to divulge something I knew about him. He flew into a rage. The secretary heard him, and that was just what I wanted. But I knew I couldn't raise the money quickly enough, and my insurance policy was up tomorrow at noon. Well, that's the story. And it's all a miserable mess. (laughs) Yes, John, it's all a very, very sad situation. Oh, but wait a minute. What about that telegram the boy delivered earlier? Where does that fit in? Was that part of your plan, John? Telegram? What telegram? Let me see it, Dwight. Why, it's... It's from the State Mutual. They've granted the loan I requested. Yes, John, they've granted the loan. Now you can straighten things out. Now you can get back on your feet again. But think, John, what a sad tale this would have been if you'd followed through with your plan and Dwight hadn't caught you on the bridge at midnight. <laughs> CBS has presented The Whistler. Original music for this production was composed and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. Tonight's Whistler story was written by Herbert Connor, directed by J. Donald Wilson, and came to you from Columbia Square in Hollywood. Next Sunday, 9.15... I, The Whistler, will return to tell you another unusual tale. (laughs) Good night. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.